Pushkin. This is Wintertime, a song off Nora Jones' album that came out this past spring, Begin Again. Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Headlam have absolutely fallen in love with this tune. Wilco's frontman Jeff Tweedy started writing it some time ago before discarding it somewhere along the way. During a recording session with Nora Jones, the two of them picked it back up and brushed it off together to make this. In case you don't remember, Nora Jones had a massive hit 17 years ago with her debut single, Don't Know Why, which has basically become a standard in the American songbook thanks to her minimalist performance. After that, she did a run of solo albums, but also did a lot of collaborating. A song with Ray Charles, a song with Billy Nelson, whole albums with producer Danger Mouse. But recently, Nora's discovered a new way of collaborating. She talks with Malcolm and Bruce about why this new way feels so good. She also takes a seat at the piano and plays through some of the new songs on her record, and also talks about some of the ways she coped with her sudden fame in 2002. This is Broken Records Season 3, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here is Malcolm and Bruce's conversation with Nora Jones from Bridge Studio in Brooklyn. Bruce and I are uh, mildly obsessed with wintertime, and we thought we would start there. Um, the song, not the season. <laughs> the song, not the season. <laughs> okay. Um, we want to go as deep as you want to go on <laughs> that song and where it comes from and how you went about writing it. And Well, I, I don't want to disappoint you too much on that one, but I went to record with Jeff Tweedy in Chicago, mm-hmm. and which was really amazing and fun. We wrote uh, several songs together, and this was one that he sort of had the scraps already. Yeah. Lying around. So we picked it up and dusted it off and tweaked it and put some clothes on it and changed it around. And then now, it sort of so became. Even there, I have a million <laughs> questions. When did you first meet Jeff Tweedy? It must be at least 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Probably, no, more, because I, I think I met him for the first time on my first record when I did the Jules Holland show. So that must have been 2002. Gosh. Yeah, it's been a long time. And Wilco did it as well. And yeah. um, I was already a fan because that was right when Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was out. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, I've just sort of seen him around a lot. We work with a lot of the same people, and we've always been really friendly. Wilco had me and my band, Puss in Boots, come hang out with them. When they opened up for Neil, they let us sit in on Jesus, et cetera, yeah. <laughs> which was really fun. That must have been fun. Yeah. Which you've done too. So which we covered, yeah. yeah. So we covered Jesus, et cetera, uh, in this band I'm in called Puss in Boots, Sasha Dobson and Catherine Popper and myself. And um, we did the bridge school with them one year and and Kat and Sasha are pretty saucy and Kat goes up to Tweety and says, hey, dude, are you going to do Jesus, et cetera, in your set? And he's like, I don't know, we might do that. And she's like, well, we're putting it in our set and we're going first. So, <laughs> so we literally just like went ahead and played their song before they went on. And we just enjoyed each other's, like kind of ribbing each other after that. Yeah. 
No, it is the so there's two categories here. There are categories of people that you're fans of mm-hmm. and categories of people that you want to work with. Mm-hmm. Are they the same or are they different? Well, I think in making lists of collaborating with people, because this is what I'm trying to do right now is just do these singles and work with different people and with low pressure stakes, you know, like just one song is the only goal. Um, and I figured out that, yes, they are different. I can be a fan of someone and have no idea how to insert myself into their world or them into mine. Yeah, That doesn't mean it can't happen once you get in the room. It might be totally magical. But unless I have some kind of a, a idea of something I want to try, then I'm not going to just reach out to somebody and say, let's go get in a room and just stare at each other. <laughs> you know, so, It's easier. I can imagine. Yeah. It's not hard for me to understand that you would listen to Wilco and meet Jeff Tweedy and say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think we should probably do a record together at some point. It was so fun. And, you know, yeah. we both play enough of enough instruments to sort of just have the two of us with the drummer. His son, Spencer Tweedy, was playing drums, and we, we did all the stuff with just the three of us. And um, that kind of recording is really fun. So you have this idea now that you want to do these kind of one-offs with people. Yeah. That are, where did that, how did you come to that? It's a really, it sounds like a really, really, by the way, I'm surprised that more people don't do that. But I'm well. I think a lot of people do do it, but they don't like call it what it is. Maybe. But, yeah. Um, it was actually my husband's idea. He was he was saying, "You have all these resources to do something easy like this. Why don't you do it?" It's <laughs> like, gosh, why don't I? <laughs> That's a great idea, and what a fun way to just make music. I have little kids, you know. I don't want to. My my attention span is very short. Yeah. Just like everybody's nowadays, but you know. It's it's really fun to be musical and be doing things and have it come out quicker than if you do a full album, you know. And well, that's why is sort it? of the nature of the internet and everything. Yeah, you know? it's 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 good. But a, a naive question: Why is it easier to to work with someone who you may know as a friend but haven't actually worked before than it is to work with someone who you've been writing songs with and making music with for ten years? Well, for me, I mean. I don't like to take a long time to record music or write songs or, I mean, I'll think about a song if it's not done, you know, it's not done and you want to tweak it. But, you know, some people go in and they take three years to make an album. That's not how I get bored and I want to move on to something else. So for me, I mean, it's fun. Three days in a studio with someone is plenty to get one song. Um, And in, in all these cases, we've gotten three to seven songs each session which has been great. And maybe not all of them are amazing, but um, it's really fun. It's just a fun way to work. It's low pressure Mm -hmm. to get somebody to commit to something, somebody who maybe I don't know that well or is very busy. Um, I don't know. For me, it's not scary so much as it is. It has been a little bit stressful because there have been many of these sessions where I've gone in and I'm so underprepared. I'm like, okay, I don't really have a full song at all in case we can't come up with anything because I try to have something in case, you know, we're drawing blanks in there. Um, what is, what is, what is, another night, dumb question. <laughs> what is something? I have all these voice memos on my phone, you know, that I make in the bathtub because that's the only peace and quiet I get. And, you know, some of them are just like a small snippet of a melody. It's like, da 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 whatever it is. And... Sometimes those little somethings stick in my head for months or years, and I'll go back to them. And that's like when I worked with Thomas Bartlett, that's all I had was I had a few lyrics and I had a few melodies 
and we just turn them into songs in the studio. And I guess my point is like, sometimes I'm a little stressed and underprepared when I'm going into these sessions, but I know and I have faith in the process and that when I get into the studio and I can focus and like all the noise isn't surrounding me and I'm with somebody who inspires me and hopefully they are the same, um, then it happens. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, we haven't gotten nothing yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say that. So how many how many ideas would you have on your phone right now? Right now, I'm pretty dry, but I have a lot of old ideas. <laughs> yeah. So you can't change phones because you're there. Well, yeah, exactly. You're um, locked in. I'm locked in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I miss my old voice recorder sometimes. What's the longest time that's elapsed between a snippet of an idea and a song that actually appeared on an album? There is a song I wrote with... Um, this friend, Ilhan Ersahan, I used to be in a band called Wax Poetic when I first moved to New York in like 1999. And we wrote this song together. And um, that band didn't make another album and it kind of petered out. And I it continued without me. I, I wasn't in it anymore. But then I kind of dug up that song and I put it on my third album <laughs> about, so that's how many about years? six years later. Six years maybe? I have you beat. Yeah. Because I just did a podcast episode that was inspired by our interview that I did in 1992. Wow. And I thought about it. For that long? For 25 years. And I always wanted to do something and finally did it. So I love that. In other words, my point is, you know, you can yes. revisit this stuff when you're as old as I am. Yeah. These ideas don't really leave your sort of being until they become something. But I think for a lot of people listening to old ideas it would make them intensely uncomfortable because they would hear the the mistakes, the things mm. that aren't so good. Are you like that at all? Can you can you turn off whatever critical voice you have that Yeah, I'm not too critical of myself because I I learned when I when I first my first record came out, I had just started writing songs because that voice I could not turn off until then. I wrote songs in high school and they were so horrible. I was so embarrassed. And I never wanted to do it again. Did you perform them? Well, like I went to this performing arts high school, which was mm -hmm. amazing. And so we were all very encouraged. So like it ended up on the, you know, the high school tape. So yeah, I, you know, it was out there. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, I want to put it back in. I don't <laughs> like it. But um, yeah, when you're young, that stuff can be a little embarrassing. And so I definitely shut down. And then I got into songwriting when I moved to New York. I only had two two and a half songs on my first album because I was really new at it. And then after that, after a couple albums, I got more and more into it. And, I, and then I got really kind of down on myself and frustrated. And then I had this whole thing with songwriting. And, and I finally realized I don't have to show anybody anything. Just finish the damn song. Do as much as you want to it. Make it as cheesy as it is or whatever. And then in the end, you can discard it. You don't have to show the world if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. But see it through. That's a good lesson for. It's a good lesson for a lot of things, but especially yeah. songwriting because you but, never but know. But that's what kind of freed you up. To, it kind of freed me up, yeah. Because you did start writing after you became famous. I started writing more, yeah. Yeah, and you learned the guitar. Yeah. After you became famous, so that takes some nerve. I mean, for me, I was just trying to stay inspired. The the fame and the kind of crazy whirlwind that was my first record. Um, it took a lot of took a lot away from like the point which was staying inspired and and making music i really loved you know mm -hmm. were you working with somebody in the kind of pairings that you're describing now 
Um, how often do they make you realize you may have been wrong about something? Like you're talking about how you have these little things and sometimes they don't work. How often does the second voice in the room say, wait a minute, that does work? I love it when that happens. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing. It does happen? Yeah, it happens. Sometimes, you know, when you get in a room with somebody, you're like, well, I have this idea. It might be stupid. Or like, it's your nature to be self-deprecating, mine anyway, to be self-deprecating and not be like, check out this awesome idea. <laughs> and, but, you know, like, oh, I don't know. Is this dumb? Check this out. No, that's not dumb. That's like what you want to hear for sure. Yeah. Are there particular collaborators who are just good at that, at hearing things that you don't hear? Brian Burton, I mean, Danger Mouse is, he's really good at that. He's amazing at it. And not only musically, he has hooks for days, but also um, lyrically, he's really good at it. He was someone I was really self-conscious. Like I, I wasn't nervous about the project, but when it came down to the lyrics sometimes, I was sort of nervous to show him my lyrics sometimes because it was very, it was all very personal. Lyrics are very different than showing a musical idea. They're they're way more exposed, I think, and mm. naked, especially for someone who's a little late to the lyric party, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was definitely more self-conscious showing him my lyrics. And I, I don't know that he was, but his lyrics are really great. The more we wrote together, the more self-conscious I got because I realized his lyrics were so great. But I was also very comfortable with him. So I thought, well, he's like my my big brother. Let's uh, Let's just do this. But he's really good at that. Is there a song that comes to mind from your collaboration with him that you think is sort of the best example of the two of you working together? Hmm. The whole album was super collaborative. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of like scraps that were brought to the table as much as, you know, some other things. But lyrically, like I've, I've been going back and I love playing songs from that album. Sometimes there's songs from old albums that I just, that I still like, but I, I don't really connect with at this moment in time. Doesn't mean I won't again. It doesn't mean I never have. But that's playing live. That's kind of how it goes. Mm -hmm. Pick songs that you're connecting with in the moment. And some of the songs, when I throw them into the set from that record, it's like, wow, these lyrics are so great. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we've been doing a song called "Say Goodbye," and the lyrics are really good. I think. Did you try and do it in the set because that had, that album had such a great sound it's yeah. it's his sound that's him yeah and i don't mean that like he no. makes the same sound over and over he's, no, he's I, a little I, like I brian agree. eno he sort of it's like he's created a little universe somewhere that you kind of yeah. float into do you try and kind of reproduce that on stage or do you do it in a different setting i did more when we toured that album and we i had, I had a great band who could do it without it being contrived you know like we only had um it was a five-piece band it was me a keyboard organ player, uh, guitar, bass and drums. It wasn't like it wasn't like we were obsessed with recreating the album sound, but we did a good job of of doing it. Um, now, however, I'm really into stripping it back a little bit and not trying to recreate it. And I'm into rearranging some things. And especially with that album, because the soundscape was so specific, unless it's a natural thing for me to recreate live, uh, I'd rather not try to like be married to the sounds and just serve the song because they're great songs even without all that and that's the great thing about that album when we come back malcolm and bruce pick back up with their obsession with the song wintertime that noah wrote with wilco's jeff tweedy broken record is presented by lexus which asks 
What amazing ideas will you inspire next? Hey there, I'm Ashley Ford, host of the Chronicles of Now podcast. Chronicles of Now commissions amazing authors like Roxane Gay, Colin McCann, Carmen Maria Machado, and Curtis Sittenfield to write short fiction inspired by the headlines. Each episode features a new work of fiction inspired by the biggest stories of our time, like what does COVID-19 do to our relationships? How do we make sense of climate change and extinction? And perhaps most mysteriously, what is going on with Trump's tweets? Because in such uncertain times, sometimes art, fiction, is the only way to make sense of it all. The show is great for fans of short speculative fiction, historical novels, podcasts that go behind the news, and narrative shows like Radiolab and The Moth. The Chronicles of Now is imaginative storytelling at its most compelling. Authors helping us understand our world. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Brought to you by Pushkin Industries. We're back with more from Nora Jones. So Jeff Tweedy, <laughs> do you call him up? Is that tweed. what you do? Hey Tweed, I call him Tweed. No, tweed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> how did you? Who? How did you? I want. I want. I want. I want the absolute details on this. You just call him out of the blue and said, "Hey, let's work together." Well, Jeff Tweedy, I used to have his phone number, but he stopped returning my my texts, and then I got this text once from him. Like I hadn't heard from him in two years. He's like, "Hey, uh, I just got all your texts. I'm sorry, I don't really check my phone much." I was like, "Dude, <laughs> that's fine," but that was like. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. But um so I didn't know if I had his info anymore. But um Yeah. Tom Schick is a great engineer who I used to work with in New York a lot and he moved to Chicago to be Jeff's house engineer at his mm -hmm. studio. And he so Tom's an old friend of mine. So I just told Tom, I said, Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. See if Tweety's into it. I would love to do this with you and him, because that that would be mm -hmm. a dream to go to Chicago, check out the studio finally, work with Tom again and work with Jeff. That's Keep going on this narrative. You show up. You're you walk in. Do you what do you have with you when you enter the studio to work with Jeff Tweedy? I had a couple scraps. I was very underprepared, but I had a I had a couple little tiny ideas. One of them was completely written spontaneously on the couch, and that's the version that's recorded pretty much. What song was that? Um, it's called "Song with No Name." Mm -hmm. And we were just sitting, I think that's the first thing we did the first day. We were both kind of shy, even though we knew we shouldn't be. I think he was a little shy and I was a little shy about just jumping in and giving all our ideas. You know, we're sensitive people. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're artists, right? So um, we're just sitting on the couch. He has a collection, insane collection of guitars. So I just picked one up and it was tuned really weird. And so we both just started playing. I'm not a great guitar player, but like it's just a little acoustic part. Mm -hmm. And he and I just both started playing this part together. And Tom is such an amazing person to work with because he just had a mic set up and he just pressed record. And so we just started playing it. And then I started like, da, 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 da. and then I started singing. And I was just singing gibberish words that were just coming to me. And it was cool. And then, you know, three days later, we went back to listen to that because we kind of moved on and started doing the the real stuff. <laughs> and then um, Tom was like, check this out from the first day. And it was awesome. And we we both really loved it. And we added a bunch of uh, other instruments to it. Yeah. And we just kept exactly what we had done on the couch. And there was one lyric I remember thinking, I was like, Tom, I wish I could change that lyric. He's like, well, you can't really change it unless it sounds really similar 
and we double your vocal and you could kind of flub it but because it was just we were on the couch and we were all singing and I was singing with the guitars and everything so I just left it but wait how much when you first start wait, was everything made up in the room on the couch of that song yeah melody and lyrics in the the main guitar part yes yeah and when you start that process of imp- improvisation the very first iteration how much do you have do you have like 10 seconds do you have 20 seconds like when you first said it when it first sort of comes to you well we started doing it i mean i don't know how much he recorded before we sort of had the take mm-hmm. but probably we were playing like five minutes maybe just playing the part and i was humming along mm-hmm. and then um he's like all right well let's just try one with what you have and then and then it started and what's he what's jeff tweedy doing when you're you're humming and playing on the couch. He's playing on the couch he's too. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a beautiful guitar player. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing about these collaborations. Like, I might have nothing and be kind of panicked. What if we get nothing? But then you sit with somebody who's inspiring and it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, he, I guess he's so, and he's so incredibly prolific and yes. has been so that way for so long that I guess there's no anxieties about him drawing a blank. No, and it was interesting because I had this one idea because the way I work in the studio, the way I worked with Brian and the way I've worked recently is is sort of just like, let's write it all down. Okay, what about this idea? What about this? And he, he I had this one idea and we started this other song that, again, has not been released, but um, he really wanted to take it home. He said, I do my best lyrics tweaking when I'm like at four in the morning. I'll go to bed and then I, he says he wakes up and he does it, and then he goes back to bed. Really? And I was like, okay, but I'm dying to do it now. I want to do it right now. You know, I was kind of like, ah. But I was super happy to have him do it. I didn't, yeah. it wasn't that I needed to be part of it or control it. I was just impatient, you know. Wait, so, did he show up the next day? So he having, showed up the next day. Having woken having, up at 4 a.m.? Ha- having done that. I think it was on winter time. He tweaked some stuff. But yeah, and then there was this other song where I actually did that because I think uh-huh. he kind of inspired me a little bit. And so, and then this other song, when, I had done it. You, when you see it. I didn't wake up at 4 a.m., but I did it before <laughs> I came in. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Now, do you typically, once you've got a melody, you work melody and then words later? Not really. No? Usually melody words come together, at least some words. And then those words are so cemented in the melody, it's impossible to remove them. It's like really hard to change the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um. But sometimes there's a melody that has no words. And sometimes more recently, and not in the past for me, but more recently I've had a lot of words with no melodies. But usually it's both. And then they kind of, you kind of, I don't know, it's easier to kind of morph from a a lyric melody that's already married. Mm -hmm. Is Is it hard once you've got the words to come up with a melody then? It's really fun to find a melody for like a poem or a lyric because I've done that with other people's words before and it is very freeing. Mm. It, it seems more free. Um, but when you have a melody and you're trying to fit lyrics into those nooks and crannies, that is definitely hard, uh, harder, unless it's just already kind of inspired with it. Uh, we did an interview with uh, Linda Perry who worked with Dolly Parton. I know you've worked with Dolly Parton. Yeah. And she told this amazing story. They did, I guess, six songs for the the Dumplin' soundtrack. Yeah. And they worked all these songs. And 
and Dolly Parton the whole time as well. I don't write much anymore. She did, really? Oh. So anyway, she went back. She wrote the lyrics to all six songs in one day. Who did? Linda did? No, no. Dolly, Dolly Parton did. did. She just went ahead and she was like, all right, I'll do <laughs> yes. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm Dolly. Well, you I got her. this. <laughs> yeah. And they were, I don't know and if you they know, they were great. They were great. Yeah. They're fabulous. Yeah. Of course. She's an amazing songwriter. Mm-hmm. Writing is a weird thing. I, I used to get freaked out. Because I didn't have any ideas or I wasn't inspired and I didn't have anything happening. And I have a lot of really close friends who are songwriters. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I see them go this through the same thing. But I've seen myself go in and out of it. And it's like something always happens mm-hmm. eventually. You go through phases. You go through phases where you're not writing. And then you go through phases where you're writing a lot. And sometimes there's an in-between. But it's nice to not freak out when you're not because you know it'll eventually come again did you listen to a lot of country music growing up yeah i mean my mom is from oklahoma so my grandparents and my mom absolutely i grew up on willie nelson and bob wills and Mm -hmm. and linda ronstadt and a lot of great music but it wasn't until i moved to new york when i was 20 that i kind of realized oh yeah i love that music (laughs) i didn't really think about myself as ever singing that kind of music and then and then I moved to New York. And I was like, I'm from Texas, people. <laughs> give me some <laughs> give me some three-chord songs. And then when I started writing songs, I started writing on guitar because I lived in a tiny shoebox in the East Village. And I didn't have a piano. And all those jazz chords that I'd learned in high school and college that I loved so much, I sure didn't know how to play those on guitar. I knew like five chords on guitar. So the first song I wrote when I moved to New York and I finally like, got out of my head and it was probably four in the morning and I wrote come away with me which is really just a few chords and it's really kind of a country song I mean that's sort of what it is Mm -hmm. and I wrote it on guitar and I can barely play it so what would have happened if you'd moved to Nashville and not New York you ever thought about that I know right I don't know I probably would have gone full like anti-country I don't know (laughs) I don't know yeah or I would have gone full country (laughs) now you were born in New York. Yeah. And then your mother moved to Grapevine. We moved to Dallas when I was four because oh, okay. she was from Oklahoma and her, okay. her dad Family. was sick. I don't know why we moved actually, but I feel very from Texas. But yeah, I was born in New York and I moved back here when I was 20. Mm-hmm. But she's something of a character. She was in the music business. Did she just have a lot of <laughs> records uh, that you could listen to? Um, she was a music fan. I mean, yeah, she did. I, I grew up listening to Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin and- Old country music, Judy Garland, she had, and Brazilian music. She lived in Brazil when she was in her early 20s. And um, she had all these great Brazilian records. Do you remember a first record or two that kind of... From her? Whatever got you interested in being a musician? Well, she um, she was always playing Aretha Franklin. And at Christmas, she would always play like Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> And um, we went to church. We went when we moved to. Te- I mean, I don't remember much about New York because I was three or four when we left. But when we moved to Texas, we started going to this Methodist church, and I joined the church choir. And the the choir teacher was a former Catholic, so we were singing all these Latin hymns, <laughs> which was very funny for this Texas Methodist church. But um, so that's kind of where I got my start, and I think she she recognized my joy in music and she got a piano and got me piano lessons and stuff well i want to go back to jeff tweedy in the winter time i want you to i'm still i still want to know about so you said something at the very beginning 
that he had a few discarded scraps. Yeah. And you guys brushed them off. Mm-hmm. So how much of a scrap did he have? Do you remember? Um, it was a pretty big one. I mean, it, the song was definitely sort of a shell of itself. And he played me a bunch of, we kind of got stuck one day. Like the yeah. second day we were a little stuck. And I was like, you know, I, I, I showed you mine now. <laughs> Show me your scraps, <laughs> basically. Do you have anything? And I mean, he is prolific and he records constantly. Yeah. And he has his own studio. So, yes, he's got a lot of scraps. And they're fully, like, some of them are recorded with a full band, but um, they're not necessarily finished or or the way that they end up. And he played me a bunch of stuff, and it was all really cool. But it, there's this thing that's happened to me over the last 10 years where it's it's become harder and harder for me to cover other people's songs because I'm I'm, I'm enjoying making my own songs now. And so for me, you know, to connect with someone else's words and music and enough to sing them. And it's not that I don't want to sing them, but to, to be able to own it, you have to own it to cover a song. I have to basically sing it like it's mine. So nothing was completely catching me in that way. And then, and then wintertime came on. I was like, I love this. <laughs> what was it in wintertime that you did react to? Do you know? Was it the lyric or... Um, the feeling of it? I liked the feeling of it. The lyrics were kind of half there. And um, yeah, I li- I just it just felt good. I liked the tempo. I liked the vibe. It's funny when you write with somebody else. Everybody has a chord structure that they tend towards. And his is specific to him. And it sounds like Jeff, you know? It and, sounds, and, and what is that? Can you it, it's like a lot of minor twos <laughs> and, right. um, instead of four chords. Um, yeah. And I liked it, but I liked it. It had a real flavor. It had a real hymn flavor, you know? Mm-hmm. When we come back, Nora Jones sings. She breaks down her song, Wintertime, and explains how the minor two chord is part of the Wilco sound. Broken Record is presented by Lexus, which asks, what amazing ideas will you inspire next? We're back with Nora Jones, breaking down the song she co-wrote with Jeff Tweedy, Wintertime. It's a very, um, yeah, the chord structure is really different. It's kind of... Where does he go after that too? What's the... Oh, he's... He goes to the minor six, and then he goes kind of chromatically down. And then, and then it, he, he's got this thing that sounds like a chorus, but it's really not the chorus, but it starts like the chorus. It's like, I know, I know, it's in the light. Minor two again. And, but it's really just the end of the verse. And it's, it's like, oh, that was the fake out chorus, but here's the real chorus. I know, I know, I know. Minor two, where you think it's going to be a four? <laughs> <laughs> Laying it on you. It's hard, I know, I know. There isn't much that you can do. I know, I know. Here comes the four. He's faking you out. 
and then minor two. I'll make it through in the winter time. There's a kind of light. Minor two. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if that's what you wanted. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's cool. Wait, what's so what's your so that's our favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite song on the album? Um, I really like, um, I mean, I like them all, but I really like just a little bit. I really like that one because we've been playing it live and it's really fun to play live. I also really like My Heart is Full because live it's taken on a whole new life. And, and that's sort of like, you know, what I'm saying about these songs being alive. Yeah. Staying alive, keeping them alive. It's a whole what, other thing. What's changed when you're playing that one live? Well, my heart is full. I did in this in in the studio with Thomas Bartlett, and he's got all these cool electronics, and it's amazing. But live, it's just bass, drums, piano, and organ. And sonically, we can take it to an intense place, but it's not the same exact sonics. You know what I mean? Can you give us a taste of that one? Mm. My heart is open, my eyes are wide, my mind is free, my hands are tied, I can see people hurting, people preaching, people watching, some are listening. Some are hearing, many talking, others working. Are we broken? Are we broken? Are we broken? Oh, it's fantastic. So it gets like more primal, you know, than Mm -hmm. electronic, which is sort of how it is on the album. Anyway, what's the relationship in your mind between the live version and the and the album version? I mean, do you do you do you start to favor one over the other? Yeah, I think I usually start to favor the live version because it becomes its own thing, and it's hard to, um, you know, you can't go back in time and change it. But but that doesn't mean that I always do. It's just when you're in the middle of a tour and you're starting to feel something differently. It's it's a funny thing because songs morph and. Usually they start in the studio. You're not playing them live a bunch before you go in to record, though I've done that before too. Yeah. And that is a whole other thing. You find an arrangement that really works live and then you go in to try to capture it, but it never quite has the magic of singing a song for the first time, kind of, and capturing it for the first time. For me, it just depends. So when you're sitting down with, is that song, I don't think, did that have a lot of piano on the original? No, there's no piano on the um, recorded version, but on live, it's instead of do, you know, instead of trying to get a delay and repeat my voice, it just I'm repeating it with the piano and I really dig it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we added an instrumental section. It 
adds to the intensity, but that's not on the record, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's fun. Don't stop. This is so much fun. <laughs> wait, wait, give me, give, give me, let's, so you, you said another one, there's another one that you really love off the album, um, which, which is. Oh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So how did that one, who's, how did that one come about? My friend Sarah Oda um, had a song that she gave me because I was going in the studio and I was completely unprepared again. <laughs> this is the great theme of your life. I was completely unprepared, except yeah. I was so prepared. We got seven songs in that three-day session. So uh -huh. I actually was super inspired, but more scattered maybe. Yeah. I had a lot of snippets. I had some finished songs because I was going in with Brian Blade and Chris Thomas, who is a little band I, be I had been playing with. Anyway, she gave me this song in case I needed something because I've recorded her songs before and um the song was cool I, she had a melody and everything it wasn't unfinished really it just didn't have any instruments on it it was just her singing the melody and I had the lyric sheet and um we were kind of going in a different direction that song kind of got pushed on the back burner and we were kind of in a, a lull and so I went to the organ instead of the piano and I just started sort of playing uh, uh, like a pedal, kind of a droney sound. And then with the, the foot pedals, I think I was going like. And then Chris came in and played it, and Brian came up with this amazing groove over it. And I started singing her lyrics because they were just there, just because I was singing gibberish. But then the, I just saw her lyrics, and I started singing her lyrics over what we were playing, which was completely separate from the song she had written oh. and I took her lyrics and I accidentally just like put them into this new song and then we called it Space Jam and we never listened to it again and then the engineer sent it to me the next month and was like this was kind of cool do you remember this <laughs> and I asked her I was like can I you, can I you know is it cool that I use the lyrics in this way instead? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. As long as I can record the song in the other way someday. I said, that's fine. <laughs> but what I, I really like about it is that her rhyme structure, her original song was, the. the I'm not going to sing you the melody, mm -hmm. but it, uh, it was like, I'll sing you the rhythm of the way her melody was. It was, I'm not the one you can ignore. I'm not like those you've had before. That was like the rhythm of it. And so I, I I feel like the rhythm of the rhyme scheme got kind of flipped around. And I don't know, I, I think that's kind of interesting because it was written with one intention, but then flipped around, it's kind of backwards in a, in a cool way. Can you give us a, so, he so here's So here's the song, how it ended up.
So, you know, I added things here and there, and her basic lyric is just the, it was kind of turned upside down mm-hmm. rhythmically, totally unintentionally. It was just sitting in front of me, you know, but. Does that happen a lot with music you get, you, the people, things people give you? I don't often do that, but um, I did write another song on this EP uh, from a poem from a friend called Begin Again. And, you know, her lyric was, I feel like the rhythm of the rhyme scheme was a little bit more true to what she wrote. But yeah, like I said, I don't do it a ton, but I do like the idea of lyrics and music coming from two different brains and putting them together is completely not how probably the one person would think. You know, I you like s- that. You sound like artistically you're, you're growing more and more open yeah, for sure. Is that just is that just come from increased self con? What, what's the what's the reason for that? Is that that's because usually don't you think of people usually go in the opposite direction as they get older? Do they, they get more set in their I ways? don't know. I don't want to though. I think I've become more and more open for sure, and I like it. I've I've been more inspired by it. I learn new things, and it, I'm better for it. You know, I know what I'm good at. I know what people, some people think of me as what I do, and that's fine. But I like to open it up and sort of try different things. Yeah. I don't think I ever go outside of myself in a way that's not true to myself. Thanks to Noah Jones for talking and playing us through some of the tracks on her album, Begin Again. If you couldn't tell, Malcolm and Bruce were thrilled. You can check out more of the album by visiting brokenrecordpodcast.com and subscribing to our playlist for this episode. You can also sign up for a behind-the-scenes newsletter while you're there. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell and Mia Lobel. Our theme music is by the great Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episode, our very first live taping of the podcast. It's Malcolm Gladwell in conversation with Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers at the Palace Theater in Los Angeles. So thanks for listening. Stay tuned for next week. I'm Justin Richmond. 